Hey, Bob. People were asking about you before. We are going to be looking at uh, John chapter 12 this morning. Uh, we started John, the gospel according to John, uh, many months ago. And we've been working at it gradually. It's probably been about a year ago, I think, since we started the Gospel of John. I preached through John years ago. Uh, I actually preached through all the Gospels at one time or another. But I just really love John. So you're having to suffer through it. If it's not your favorite Gospel, it happens to be mine. So I apologize to you if I'm causing you to suffer through this. Uh, I just love John's gospel, and one of the reasons I do is because it's rather unique. You know, it has some similarities to the other gospels, but I think there's a sense of personal closeness that is related in this gospel of John that you just don't get from uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a more, you know, of, you know, of an explanation of things that are taking place, you know, outside of them and, and, and from a distance, and I think... The Gospel of John is presented to us in a form that is really very up close and very personal in a way that you just don't see with the other Gospels. Uh, and another unique thing about the Gospel of John is you may not have noted this before, but, but there is basically half of the book is committed to the Passion Week. The last week of ministry of Jesus that's not true of the other Gospels. That John helps us to see in a lot more detail the details of things that took place with Christ during his last week of ministry here on the earth. Very, very special book. It enlightens us to lots of things that we would otherwise not be in knowledge of. So we're picking up this morning in chapter 12 of verse 36, and we're going to be reading to the end of the chapter. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for Isaiah, again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even in the, of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of, of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, says that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into this world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, 
I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I'll be honest with you. I have no doubt that I could probably preach 10 sermons just from that. Uh, And this is one of the things I love about John. There's just this deepness. There's this richness that just flows forth everywhere you go. And I I just love it. Everything that John has revealed up to this point in the, in the ministry of Jesus uh, has taken place before, uh, well, actually, a few days before the beginning of Passover. These all are events that we're studying at this point and from here on are events that took place immediately before the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was in a special place at this time. We see that reflected in what we've already studied earlier and that is he heard this voice speaking from heaven, encouraging him. We know that he's grieved in heart. I am so thankful for John for a lot of reasons. One of the things is this, is he understood that you and I needed to know all of these things. He did not write this gospel for himself. He knew all of this stuff already. He wrote it for people like you and I that we would know these explicit and implicit details of the last week of the ministry of Jesus on earth. Because all that he did, all that he said, was for people like us. Even 2,000 years after the fact. Everyone, even the apostles, seem to be oblivious to the fact that Jesus is on a time schedule at this point. It's not one that's been determined by the pressure and the persecution of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or any of their religious leaders. It's not one that's been established by the apostles or otherwise the disciples of Christ. It's one that was established by God himself at the very beginning of time. Everything, everything that is being worked out here is being worked out in absolute perfect, perfectly as the Godhead determined that it would be. Everything. Jesus is working according to that time schedule, not anybody else's. We're told here that Jesus hid himself from them. He's been in public ministry now for almost three years. 
And we know that there are times when he went off into seclusion, but it's really the only time that I know of is that we're told that he purposely withdraws from the people. And he hides. Now, I don't know about you, but there are occasions when I would like to hide too. I'm sure probably most people experience that in life, but I want to propose this morning that there are reasons, there are good reasons for hiding, and there are bad reasons. There are virtuous reasons, and there are not-so-virtuous reasons for hiding. There are people, I think, that would conclude, maybe based upon some things that they've read wrongly or whatever, that Jesus is doing this because he's afraid. I want to assure you that is not it at all. He is afraid of dying. We've seen that reflected already. Who in their right mind would not be? Especially when you know in advance the terrible way in which you were going to die and the suffering that would be imposed upon you. There's a sense in which we need to have our closet that we can go to and on occasion hide away from this world and its influences. So that we're not influenced and stained and corrupted by it. In other words, I hope there are times when you go into your closet. In essence, to hide away from everything. A time when you draw closer to God than you normally feel. When you feel God's presence, when you hear, in essence, God speaking, not to your ears, but to your heart. Sometimes people call it their prayer closet. Another good reason for doing it is it's a way for you to not be distracted. I mean, there's so many things in our lives, and the more people we have in our lives, the more likely we are to have distractions come up. One of the things I like to do, I'm an environmentalist. I'm a biologist. I love nature. One of the most common things for me is to get out of all of this and go out in the middle of the woods and spend time there. Not alone time. Because when you're a believer, you don't go anywhere that you're away from God ever. He's there with you. But I hope all of you have those places of retreat. Places in which, in a sense, you go to hide for a short period of time, at least on occasion. We need those. There are wrong reasons for stepping out of the limelight. Sometimes people do it because they want to shirk their responsibilities. Sometimes people do it because they're trying to escape from the consequences of bad decisions and choices that they, they've made. 
Some do it because they're afraid of what will happen if they don't. I would estimate that Jesus has three reasons for hiding himself away at this point. Number one, and we've already seen this reflected in what we've studied in, in just the previous material here in the Gospel of John, and that is for Jesus to prepare himself as much as possible for the trials and tribulations that await him just in just a few days. To make himself ready. I'd imagine he also wanted to spend some alone time with his disciples because even though he left everybody else, he did not leave them. They went with him. Time for him to prepare them for what they were going to endure because of what he was going to endure. And I would imagine that Another reason was so Jesus could concentrate on prayer and spend alone time with his father who was the only one that could give him the kind of encouragement that he needed at this point. See, I think that we can all relate to these things. We've all been in those positions and we, we all know that there are times when we need to get away for right reasons. One of the most amazing things we should glean from this text is this. Is these people were privy to real physical healings that Jesus had done. They've sat and they've heard the words of God spoken forth from his mouth. And one of the most amazing things is this is it appears as though only a very few of them came to true and saving faith in Jesus Christ as a result of it. Sometimes we have the idea that every person that ever heard Jesus, ever saw Jesus, they said that, you know, eventually they came to believe. They, was, they just couldn't get denied. But we need to understand that the measure of the human heart is this, is they were confronted with God face to face, and many of them still rejected him. I would go so far as to say most of them rejected him. That of all of the people that, that, that experienced Jesus in, in a one-to-one, in a -one, face-to-face, even in a crowd, Jesus himself right there speaking, hearing him, seeing and whatever. There was a lot of them. And, and it's just a measure. You, you know, people want to have the idea that, well, I'm a little bit of a sinner. I usually do what was right. I know I don't always do what was right. But if people want to uh, characterize me, they'd say that I'm basically good. But this is a measure of the darkness and the blackness of the human heart that it appears as though the majority... Now, people who saw and heard never believed. That is the stranglehold that sin has on every human heart. And only God has the power to overcome it. 
I want to say to you this morning that if you're believing this stuff, you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, you only do because God has interceded in you already and brought you to that point. Who gets the credit for your salvation? He does. You get nada. You get zero. You have not in any way, shape, or form, saved yourself. Now, you have believed and you've expressed faith, but only because he's given it to you to begin with. But isn't this amazing? And it's funny how you study through and read through these things. And this really never dawned on me so much. And that is, it seems as though very few people ultimately believed it. And what a clear picture it is of just how dark people are falling in sin. That they were hearing God speak. That they were looking at God face to face and still denial. And this has been an ongoing thing now for a very long time. It's been an ongoing thing ever since the Garden of Eden. You know, one of the common thoughts and philosophies today is that as time goes on, people get better and better. That we're gooder than people used to be. That as we get to know more and whatever, then you're just evolving into just better, better, better people. That's not what the Bible says. Let me give you an example. How did all of this start? The sin business. Well, we know it started with Adam and Eve. And that stinky old forbidden fruit. What was their guilt? They ate some fruit off of a tree that God told them not to. Pretty serious sin. And it was obviously really serious in the eyes of God because that's, mankind fell with Adam and Eve in that. Have you ever noticed this? We, we, we would think sometimes, well, yeah, that was wrong. They shouldn't have done that, this, that, and the other. It was a disobedient. But there's not this wickedness and evilness you might find in some other sins. Like, for instance... Their son murdered his brother because he was jealous of him. Does that sound to you like sin is getting better as time goes by? It's getting gooder? What about the fact that God's own son came into this world and what did the world do to him? It murdered him. John alludes here to the prophecies of Isaiah talking about 
the hardening of hearts. He, and this is God, he's the he, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. God actively involved in it, this process. Prophesied by Isaiah many hundreds of years before. The hardening that was spoken of in Isaiah's day came only after hundreds of years of apostasy on the part of Israel and Judah. God had been very patient. God had been very kind. God had repeatedly sent prophets with a message all over again that the people needed to repent of their sin and to return back to the Lord their God over and over and over and over again, the same message. And sometimes it fell on receptive ears because we know that there were believers in every generation. There have been believers in every generation since the Garden of Eden. But Isaiah and Micah, as we were studying in Sunday school, this willful, purposely hardening of hearts. Now, I would imagine that for some people, their reaction to that whole thing is, eh, eh, eh. No way, Jose. My God would never do something like that. My God is a God of love. My God is a God of care. He would never do something like harden someone's simple heart. That may be your opinion, but it's not what the Bible says. The Bible said that this is something that God did. Their hearts were hard. He hardened them even more. Now, let me just say this. When we have these conversations, people don't like it. I don't like it. I wish I didn't have to talk about this stuff. And some are going to say, why did Keith even bring that up? But see, either I'm called to teach and preach the whole counsel of God, or I am not. And if I am, I must. It's not do I want to. Do I sit down every Sunday uh, after church and figure out what I'm going to say the next Sunday? Just, just pulling it out of the clear blue. God, enlighten me to what you want me to preach this week. This is why I'm committed to preaching through books. Because let me tell you something. If it wasn't for this passage in this book, you would never hear me talk about this. I would avoid it like the plague. Which is what virtually everybody does. Because it's hard stuff to talk about. It's hard to explain in a way that doesn't somehow make God look like he's the bad guy. And very often we, we, we attempt to, to make it sound better.
In other words, we have conversations about, was this something God actively did or he passively did it? In other words, he was actually the source, he caused this hardening, or did he do it indirectly through other means? Well, most people opt for the second one because it sounds like it makes a paint better picture of God. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other, but what I am going to tell you is make one, make one whit of difference. But hallelujah, that's not the whole story. Because we know that God sent his son, Jesus, the light of God shining into the darkness. The only reason people still inhabit planet earth is because God has interceded through history into the affairs of men. You know, one of the common ideas today is this, is that people are actually getting better. <laughs> we're becoming more moral, and we're becoming better in just about every way you can possibly. We're evolving into something that's better and better and better and better and better with every generation that goes by. Let me just say this. You may not have thought about this, but in the last century, in the 1900s, more people died in war than in all of the rest of the history ever fought, put together. Does that sound to you like we are getting over this sin stuff? I mean, this, this is sobering stuff, and, it, and really, when we consider this whole thing about this hardening, it's serious. Let me tell you, the only reason people still inhabit this planet is because God has intervened in human history all through time. We never would have made it out of the Garden of Eden if he left us on our own. And so often we think this picture is all about us. It's all about me. When are we going to understand something? It's all about him. I mean, there's this concept of the remnant that runs all through Scripture. It's one of those golden threads that holds everything together from the Garden of Eden all the way through the book of Revelation. That among all people, there are 
certain chosen people that God, for whatever his reasons are, has chosen to love them. Even they were, they were dirty as they could be, they were downright unlovable in whatever way you can possibly imagine. He, because he is a loving God, has chosen to love those people and to shed that love out upon him so that they would experience it, so that he would have a loving relationship. Do you understand that this is what it's about? Is God establishing a relationship with you? That he wants that relationship with you? A bunch. Doesn't cost you diddly squat, but it cost him more than you and I can possibly imagine. But he was willing to pay the price because you are that important and valuable to him. You've heard me say this before, and that is this. If he had decided he was only going to save one person, Jesus still would have had to go through absolutely everything that he did. For that one person. That again is a measure of just how dirty, rotten sinners are. That it took the very righteousness of the Son of God to save you. And it's the only thing that would. It's the only thing that could. Is Jesus coming back in our day? Well, he could. He could. I think it's safe to say at this point that there's never been a religion that's had quite the impact upon the world as Christianity has. There's nothing that comes close. Don't let anybody tell you that has. Nothing has. As far as it's reaching around the globe in ways, there's no religion that's made the inroads and spreading like Christianity has. Not that we finished the job. There's still people groups in the world who know little to nothing about Jesus. Today, there are about 7.6 billion people worldwide. Roughly 2 billion of them identify as Christians. Which means that Still, the majority of people in the world, a significant majority of people in the world, don't know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we also understand that these statistics are skewed because they include some people who are claiming to be Christians who are not. The United States is in a major struggle today. Politically, socially, economically, every way you can possibly imagine. Because there are people who want us to become more like everybody else in the world. That we understand this. 
we know that Christ is what has made America the greatest nation that has ever existed on this planet by a long shot. That our founding fathers were professing Christians almost to the person. We see that reflected in our love for God and our love for our fellow man. And granting equal rights to anybody and everybody. There's no place on the earth that that is true or ever has been true like it is here in this United States. And we have Christianity to thank, thank for it. You're not going to find many people giving credit to the church for being a part of what made America great and this, that, and the other. But let me just tell you something. We see Christian ethics and morals reflected in the Declaration of Independence and reflected in the Constitution. Not that every one of those people was a perfect, you know, believer who always followed God in every way. But he is there in the founding documents of our nation. The moral decay that we're watching now is a result of people's hearts being hardened toward Christ Jesus. People moving away, not in the right direction, but in the wrong direction. And we are eyewitnesses of the result of it. Things are coming apart at the scene. You would think that people, you know, all of these people that really know history and philosophy, that they would begin to put two and two together. Why, is, why has America been different? You know, there are hordes of people out there in the world that are desperately trying to come here. Because we have freedoms here like people have never had on this planet in the history of the world. And there are people who are trying to destroy it. And one of the ways they're doing it, they're trying to erase God from this picture completely. If they do that, the land that we know and love will no longer be the land that we know and love. Forty-five percent of people in the United States claim to be members of a church. Now, you and I understand that that's a skewed number. There are people who said that they're members of a church when they're really not, because you're supposed to be a member of a church if you're an American, right? One of the saddest things is this, is what would be the circumstances if Jesus came into the world today? We look at the way things are and et cetera, et cetera. We need to understand something. There are literally billions of people who would be hellbound and very few would not be in comparison. Does that sound like people are getting better? That we're getting this sin thing under control more as we evolve? 
You understand what's being promoted as being evolving today is nothing other than going backwards. It's not evolving, it's devolving. And it will bring with it all of the horrors and all of the difficulties and all of the pains and all of the hurts that it pushed aside for at least some time. I mean, all of this thing of salvation is cloaked in mystery, but let me just reemphasize this. But it, when it comes to us individually, when it comes to me, when it comes to you, the greatest, greatest mystery of all of this for each one of us individually ought to be why me? Forget about everybody else. Why? It's not because you're great and good. I can tell you that much. And he wants you to know it. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be his precious possession. To worship him not just on Sunday morning, but to worship him through your life and even into eternity. Are you not important? Beyond imagination. Don't let anybody tell you you're not. You are amongst the most important, special, loved people that have ever lived on this earth. And that has to be reflected in the manner in which we live our lives.